You're listening to The Gospel, Race, and Justice, a sermon series at Sojourn Church Midtown. Join us as we have a conversation about ethnicity, reconciliation, and the church. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful today that you are a God who offered Jesus Christ on the cross to absorb your wrath for our sin and that you raised him from the dead. And you are a God who intervened in our lives through the preaching of the gospel. And you worked on our hearts. And you spoke life into our souls and you raised us from the dead. And Father, we thank You that we who are raised from the dead in Christ are a people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And so Father, as we come before You this morning thinking about these truths, thinking about what the Gospel says about ethnic division and racism and matters related to justice, we beg You, please send Your Spirit. And may He come with power. And that we leave here with the gospel of Jesus Christ ringing in our ears. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we continue our sermon series on the gospel, race, and justice. In the first sermon, Pastor Jamal provided an overview of the series by placing it in the biblical and theological context of creation, fall, and redemption. He also set the series in historical context by defining the important concepts of the gospel, race, ethnicity, and justice. If you're new to this sermon series or to this conversation, I encourage you to listen to that first sermon. My singular purpose this morning is to explain the Gospel and to offer five practical applications. Now, of course, there's much I could say about the Gospel. No one can exhaust the Gospel in one sermon or in one book. But the Gospel basically explains to sinners how to get saved and go to heaven when we die. But, the Gospel of Jesus Christ says more than that. Not everything is the Gospel, but the Gospel is much, much bigger than many Christians think. First, the Gospel is an announcement. In fact, that's what the word gospel means, an announcement. And it's an announcement about God's salvation of sinners and His redemptive purposes for the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. This announcement centers on, prioritizes Jesus' penal substitutionary death and His resurrection from the dead. That is, on the cross of Jesus Christ, God is absorbing His wrath in Jesus for our sins. No, Jesus did not commit 
sin, but on the cross, God judged him as though he were a sinner. Because Jesus was our substitute, dying in our place, dying for the condemnation that we, as sinners, rightly deserve. But God raised him up from the dead triumphantly and victoriously as a loud proclamation to the devil, death, hell, and the grave that sin had been defeated and everything about Jesus is proven to be true because God doesn't raise dead liars from the dead. He raises the Son of God from the dead victoriously conquering the power of sin. That is a good place for an amen. 1 Corinthians 15. Second, the Gospel is vertical. That is, it announces that God justifies Jews and Gentiles by faith in Christ. Because of Jesus' wrath-bearing death for our sins. And because of His victorious resurrection from the dead. Romans 5, 6-8 for example. So because Jesus died on the cross and absorbed the wrath of God for sinners, and because God raised Him from the dead victoriously, showing that His death is sufficient for our salvation, God therefore, when we place faith in Jesus, declares us to be not guilty. He justifies us by faith. Because God in Christ reckoned our sin, our punishment, our guilt, our shame to Jesus, and He reckons to our account Jesus' perfect righteousness. Therefore, when we as Christians stand before God in the judgment, He looks at you sinners and He says, y'all not guilty. Because of what God has done for us in Christ. When I tell someone how to become a Christian, I tell them they must repent. Turn from their sins. Give their lives to Jesus Christ. Believe by faith that God sent Jesus to die for their sins and that He raised Him from the dead so that they can receive eternal life. And that, brothers and sisters, is a vertical announcement. Third, and hear this carefully, the Gospel is also horizontal. It announces that God reconciles Jews and Gentiles to one another by the transforming power of the Spirit because of Jesus' wrath-bearing death and His resurrection from the dead. So that every tongue and tribe and people and nation are both reconciled to God, vertical, and reconciled horizontally to one another. Because of what God, God has done for us in Christ. And by the way, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is this morning or the color of your skin. If you are a non-Jewish person, you are a Gentile. If you're black or brown or white, Asian, 
doesn't matter your ethnic background, where you're from, what your language is, unless you are Jewish, you are a Gentile. And God does this horizontal work for Jews and Gentiles in Christ. But fourth, the gospel is also cosmic. Are y'all still with me? We're going to do some theology this morning, all right? The gospel is cosmic. It announces that God in Christ restores everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden when they sinned. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is about the business, brothers and sisters. Through Jesus to reverse Adam's curse, to crush the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15, by means of the seed of the woman. He's about the business of regenerating, transforming the entire creation. Revelation chapter 21 and 22, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, Isaiah 65, 17 to 25, Romans 8, verses 19 to 22. Here's basically what I'm saying. Brothers and sisters, King Jesus and Jesus alone is the gospel. Thus, the gospel is the announcement that God has fulfilled and will fulfill all of His promises of salvation for the entire creation through Jesus' wrath-bearing and cosmic disarming death and His victorious resurrection from the dead. So the Gospel is for unbelievers. It tells them how they can get saved and go to heaven when they die. But the Gospel is for believers. It tells us in Christ that we are liberated from the power of sin, and free to walk in the power of the Spirit in Christ-exalting love for one another. Galatians chapter 5 through 6. Now my text. That was my introduction. Folks, I've been ready to preach this sermon for like five weeks, so I'm hyped this morning, all right? Now let's turn to our text. Galatians is about the Gospel. Paul wrote this letter to Gentile Christians to warn them not to turn away from his multi-ethnic gospel because it leads to eternal life and because he received his gospel from God. In our particular text, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11-14, through 14, the focus is on the horizontal aspect of the gospel. Here's what's happening. Peter, a Jewish Christian, participated in Christian fellowship with Gentile Christians and other Jewish Christians in Antioch until some Jewish Christians came down from Jerusalem and they likely said Peter had to stop accepting Gentile Christians as fellow members of the people of God even though they were transformed Gentile Christians. And the text tells us that Peter, as a result, listened to what these Jewish Christians said and separated from Gentile table fellowship or Christian 
fellowship with Jewish and Gentile believers. But when Paul, a fellow Jewish Christian, saw the impact that his actions on other Jewish Christians had, he said to Peter in the presence of them all that their actions were contrary to the Gospel. So in fact, that's what he says. You notice the text in verses 11 and 12. Y'all still tracking with me? In verses 11 and 12, it says, Paul opposed Peter to his face when he visited Antioch and that Peter stood condemned, verses 11 and 12, because he separated from Gentile Christians out of fear. According to Acts chapters 11 and 13, Paul and Barnabas ministered in the city of Antioch of Syria. There's more than one Antioch in the New Testament, but this is Antioch of Syria. These chapters in Acts suggest also the church at Antioch was multi-ethnic. It was a multi-ethnic Jewish and Gentile community. History tells us that Antioch was a multi-ethnic city. Roughly 250,000 people resided there, and about 20,000 to 50,000 of those people were Jews. So this is a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in a multi-ethnic, multicultural city. It's important to remember that Jewish and Gentile relations were very, very complex in early Christianity. Because of the Old Testament, because of the diverse interpretations of the Old Testament in the Jewish community, and because of the numerous and complex social interactions between Jews and Gentiles in a multi-ethnic world. Jewish and Gentile social relations in the first century became even more complex when some from these groups became Christians and joined the church and lived life on life together in community and in society. Just read, for example, the book of Acts. But because of the law of Moses and Israel's God, Jews, particularly in Antioch, would have separated from Gentiles. Because Gentiles were generally viewed by Jews as pagan, immoral, and ungodly. Further, a question that early Jewish Christians wrestled with on many occasions was this. Can Gentiles become Christians as Gentiles? Or must they follow the Jewish Messiah and adopt a Jewish way of life in addition to their faith in Jesus Christ? And we see this complexity right here in Antioch in Acts chapter, or in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul, notice the text again, verse 11. He saw Peter's actions and he saw the effect that they had on the church. He immediately confronted Peter. And in verses 13 and 14, he describes Peter's actions as hypocritical and contrary to the gospel. Because before his Jewish homies came down from Jerusalem, what was he doing? 
He was mingling with the Gentiles. He was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He was doing life on life with these Gentile believers. In other words, verse 14, he was living like a Gentile, which means he believed, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapters 10 and 11, that Jesus Christ divided the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles and their one new creation by faith in Jesus Christ and have equal access to the promises of God in Jesus just like their fellow Jews. I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters. And hear this carefully. The Christians in Antioch do not have separate ethnic-specific services in which they got together in their own homogenous ethnic group. Instead, they were living as one diverse, complicated, messy people in the church at Antioch. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, they were living as one in Christ. That is, I think, what Paul means in verse 12. Do you notice that in verse 12? When he says, they were eating with the Gentiles. Eating together in the first century generally symbolized religious and social acceptance. And in a Christian context, it symbolized that Jesus Christ broke down the dividing wall of the law of Moses between Jews and Gentiles. And that Jesus Christ made Jews and Gentiles into one new man filled with diverse people. But Peter's fear drove him to behave as though the Gentiles' faith in Christ and their transformation by the Spirit were insufficient to make them members of the people of God unless they began to adopt a Jewish way of life. Even though God transforms Jews and Gentiles the same way, by faith in Jesus. But I love verse 14. Notice in verse 14 that Paul asked Peter a very important question. Peter and the rest of the Jews were not walking in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel. So Paul asked this question. He says, Peter, what's wrong with you? Is my paraphrase of the verse. Why are you compelling? Why are you putting pressure on these Gentile Christians to live a Jewish way of life? Well, the answer is because Peter was afraid. And because... He was not walking in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel. Just look at it in verse 14 again. Still tracking? Still with me? Look at it in verse 14. Paul says, When I saw that they, including Peter, did not walk in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel, he then had to act. He therefore rebuked Peter because his actions were contrary to the Gospel. If Paul allowed Peter's behavior to flourish in Antioch, he would have lost his Gentile mission. The Gospel mission to the Gentiles would have ended in Antioch. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, folks. Folks. 
He didn't forget about the Jews, but he says in Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16, that God revealed his son in me so that I might proclaim him as the good news amongst the Gentiles. So Peter's behavior cuts to the very heart of Paul's gospel and his mission. So he had to confront him. But here's the question, how did he confront him? Well, he did not write a hit piece in the Antioch Times. He did not release slanderous propaganda in the Antioch Herald or the Antioch Journal. But instead, he used his relational capital, right? He had a relationship with Peter. Peter was his man, right? Just read Galatians chapters 1 and 2. And what he did was, he spent that relational capital and he stood up to Peter in the face of every Jew and every uh, Gentile Christian in that Antiochian community. And he said, Peter, you've gone astray from the gospel here. Paul reminds us that Peter's ethnocentric behavior was wrong. But further, it's antithetical and contrary to the gospel. Hear me on this. A racist gospel or an ethnocentric gospel, these are not the gospel. Can I get one witness this morning? A gospel that compels someone to adopt anything other than what Jesus says you must adopt is contrary to the gospel. As I've said, the gospel centers on a Jewish Messiah who died on the cross for diverse Jews and diverse Gentiles, and God raised him from the dead for Jews and Gentiles. So when we began to play ethnocentrism or racism or racial prejudice, racial discrimination, when we are complicit in those things, we are living contrary to the gospel. Y'all feel me this morning, brothers and sisters? Paul risked his life seeking to build gospel unity. Let me give you an illustration to talk about, to, to illustrate what I'm saying. In Jesus Christ, different ethnic groups are reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, and were transformed by the power of the Spirit. But our ethnic identities are not erased or eradicated, but they're transformed in Christ. For example, before I got saved, I was a bald black man. When I got saved, I was still a bald black man. But thank you, Jesus, I'm not the same bald black man today that I was before I gave my life to Christ. I'm a new kind of bald black man who's transformed by the power of the Spirit. God transforms our ethnic identities in Christ so that those aspects of our ethnic identities 
that are in continuity with the gospel, they remain. Or let's say it this way, those aspects of our ethnic identities that are not contrary to the gospel, they remain. But any aspect of our own way of life, when it's contrary to the gospel, we put it off by the power of the Spirit as we put on every day the one new man in Jesus. As a diverse, multi-ethnic people of God. Peter's problem was he played up his Jewish identity as superior to Gentile Christian identity. And he required these Gentile Christians to become Jewish. That's why Paul talks about conforming to a Jewish way of life. And when Paul did that, he shamed these Gentile Christians. And his behavior was contrary to the Gospel. Our loyalty to Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ alone is our foundational loyalty. Paul confronted his Jewish kinsmen according to the flesh when he was walking contrary to the Gospel. Oh no, we are not colorblind. No, we don't judge people on the color of their skin but on the content of their character, but we look at and we celebrate the beautiful ethnic diversity. Every shade, no matter how dark or how light or in between, Because in Christ Jesus, our ethnic identities aren't erased, they're transformed. And Peter shrank back from that out of fear. Well, here's the question for us. What about us? What are some next steps for Sojourn Midtown? Well, number one, very quickly, give your life to Jesus Christ today if you're not a Christian. The only hope, and hear this carefully, the only eternal hope for reconciliation and the only eternal hope for racial justice is God's redemptive work in Jesus and the transformation of sinners who impact society. Now let me clarify I thank God for those of you who work in the political realm in order to change laws so that all human image bearers can flourish. And I thank God that we live in a country where we have a say in the laws of the land as citizens. But hear this, brothers and sisters. Human laws, as much as we need them, cannot change unregenerate Hearts. Amen? You can have a just law while racism continues to flourish in society. Because sin is both individual transgression and it's a cosmological power that rules over all creation like an evil tyrant. So yes, we are involved in the political process. Yes, we are involved in changing laws. Yes, we are involved in holding our leaders accountable. But the only kind of eternal and sustained transformation that we ache for in our bones is rooted in God's cosmological, vertical, horizontal work of redemption in Jesus. 
second. Brothers and sisters, we must work hard as a church to understand, to preach, to teach, to apply, and to live out the gospel in all of its fullness for everyone in this church and in this city to see. And we must do so in the power of the Spirit and with fervent prayer. Yes, we must understand the world in which we live. We must do the hard work of understanding how race and racism operate. And we must understand how ethnocentrism and racial prejudice work in society and how they're different and how they're similar. We must be lifelong learners and students of history to understand that history is not flat. (laughs) And it's not just about the good guys and the bad guys or your heroes and the villains. History, just like race, it is very complex. And it's messy. But my point is this. Only the supernatural weapon of the gospel can give us as Christians the kind of justice for which we long. So yes, we use common sense and we use common grace. But we look at the world and we cry out to the world to repent and turn from its sin and we cry out for justice with our Bibles open, right? Speaking the Word of God and the Gospel of God and you who are in spaces where you have a direct impact on how society is shaped and how laws are constructed and how decisions are made. You should be fueled in your efforts with a gospel framework that empowers you to be distinct from those with whom you serve in general ways to promote human flourishing. Say another word here. God loves ethnic diversity and He sees it. He created a diverse people and he redeemed some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. But ethnic diversity is not the gospel. You can have a racist multi-ethnic church. You know that? Let me say that again. There are multi-ethnic churches that are racist. Diversity by itself doesn't prove anything except you're diverse. Pizza can diversify people. Furthermore, let me say this word. We as Christians long for a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered racial justice. But hear this, racial justice by itself is not the gospel, is it? There are people who reject everything we say about Christianity who cry out for justice. So we need to understand that what we're calling for, oh yes, may have some continuity with our fellow citizens as it relates to justice, but we want Christ to be exalted and reign supreme over everything. Even how we think about justice. Fourth. I'm almost finished. Fourth. This this one is a little bit more heavy, all right? So I'm going to try to calm down when I say it. Actually, third. 
I just gave you two applications. Third, let me say a direct word to everybody, but more specifically to my white brothers and sisters. Do not feel guilty because you are white. White guilt is not a fruit of the Spirit. White guilt will not lead us to the promised land of gospel-centered ethnic reconciliation or racial justice. White guilt will not save us. I don't need or want a white Savior. I have a Jesus Savior who is Jewish. White guilt will lead you, white brothers and sisters, to despair. There's a better way forward than white guilt. And that way forward is, white brothers and sisters, hear me on this, lament the sin of racism. Lament. With an eye toward the joy of God's holistic redemption in Christ. Of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And be part of the solution to racism, ethnocentrism, and racial division with your black and brown and Asian brothers and sisters in this church. I know I hear you hear an echo, but ignore that and just listen to my words if you can, all right? You said direct word to my black and brown brothers and sisters and other brothers and sisters of color. The devil's not going to shut me up this morning, y'all. All right? We got a dead Jesus who's alive. You need more than a, than a microphone that trips to shut me up, okay? So y'all hang with me. Say a word to my brothers and sisters of color. We should lament racism. But we should not feel shame because we're not white. God did not redeem me to be white. Shame is not a fruit of the Spirit. Shame will lead us to despair. You should love your black skin, your brown skin, your Asian skin. You don't need to feel shame. There's a better way forward than shame. And that way forward is we lament racism with an eye toward the joy of the multi-ethnic redemption the holistic redemption that God has accomplished for every tongue, tribe, people, and nation in Christ. Together with our white brothers and sisters. We need each other. We don't need to cancel each other. We don't need to walk away like Peter walked away. We need to lament together and the power of the Spirit. Fourth, we've got to tell each other the truth. Brothers and sisters, we need to have honest conversations with each other. Where we actually listen to one another. In order to listen well, somebody needs to shut up in the conversation, right? Regardless of what the color of your skin is. We need to listen in such a way where we walk in the Spirit, seeking to pursue gospel-centered, God-honoring, Christ-exalting solutions that empower human beings to flourish.
in a way that fuels us in our homes, in our church, in our city, in the name of Jesus. As some people have said, we need mutual, not equal, notice the word I'm choosing, we need mutual sacrifice and mutual accountability and mutual responsibility. Because we are living in a critical moment right now. Black and brown and other people of color, we are hurting and we are angry and we are scared because of the numerous examples that we see with respect to racial injustice. And that pain is real. And on the other hand, white brothers and sisters in this church are hurting, angry, and are scared. Because you're being personally attacked when you individually haven't done anything wrong to hurt black people. And that pain is real. And we got to admit that that pain is real. We all bring pain to this conversation. We all bring fear to this conversation. But your first step to reconciliation, come to Jesus. Your second step, be honest with each other. Right? Let's bear each other's burdens and help carry each other's pain. Because meanwhile, while we're naive, the world is crying out saying, soldier in Midtown, y'all help us. Y'all help us. But they don't know the help that they need. Because so many people are talking, but very few people are saying anything of eternal substance or value. We're living in a world that is, quite frankly, extremely chaotic. Here's the question. What are we going to do as a church? Well, Paul says, number five, we need to be, filled with application, a gritty people. Can I get a witness, brothers and sisters? A gritty people. Now, Sojourn Midtown, a gritty people is a gospel people. that no matter what the cost, and it's going to cost us something, just like it cost Paul, that we look at the world with their Bibles open, we critically engage the world in which we live, seeking to work for the unification of all things and all people in Christ and the power of the Spirit. And be quick to show where we are saying something different from those on the left or those on the right. And whenever people on the left or on the right want to lead us astray from Jesus and his word, we look at both of those groups of people and we say, y'all must repent. So brothers and sisters, let's walk together in a straightforward manner, in the truth of the gospel.
a gospel that is centered on the cross and the resurrection, that is vertical, horizontal, and cosmological, a gospel that moves you out of your seat and out of your home, of course, socially distancing, wisely, not doing foolish stuff. There's nothing spiritual about being stupid, all right? Being wise, but a gospel that is active in wise and responsible ways. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.